It's 6 p.m., and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Thursday, August 31st, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. You may have noticed that many Californians have settled back into their pre-pandemic lifestyles. It's been three years since the initial rise of COVID-19. But the California report says that recently, COVID transmission and hospitalizations have been on the rise across the state. After a look at local upcoming weather, KVMAR's Claudio Mendoza brings us the details about the second annual Latino Family Festival. He speaks with the event's organizer, Rocio Zukov. We close with an essay by Molly Fisk. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. And these are some California stories we're following. A prison in Northern California is on its second week of generated power after wildfires knocked out electricity in the region. The fires came within five miles of the Pelican Bay State Prison in Del Norte County. Lingering smoke from the Smith River Complex fire continues to choke the air in that region. In Los Angeles, the city council voted unanimously to look into whether the city can sue Texas Governor Greg Abbott and the state of Texas for sending busloads of migrants to Los Angeles. Councilmember Hugo Soto-Martinez says the proposal will investigate whether Abbott committed kidnapping or human trafficking crimes when he sent the families. A couple of weeks ago, when we were all preparing for Hurricane Hillary, He sent, uh, uh, knowingly sent a a bus with small children right into the path of the hurricane. Now, my own family came from Mexico in search for a better life and improvements. I can't even imagine that instead of being welcomed into this country, we were sent into a hurricane. And down south, California's two senators are urging Congress to double federal funding to fix the sewage pollution that repeatedly flows from Tijuana to San Diego's South County. Senators Dianne Feinstein and Alex Padilla argue the funding should be included in an emergency supplemental bill that is already proposing billions for other disaster relief. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. Thousands of California correctional officers are poised to get raises and other perks through a new union contract. The incentives come as some California prisons continue to struggle with retention and recruitment. CalMatters Justice reporter Baronda Lyons has the details. The perks officers stand to receive include $10,000 bonuses for officers at three specific locations, $5,000 location bonus for new cadets depending on where they work, and there's a new 401k plan for full-time permanent employees. Now that's in addition to the state pension they already accrue. 
It's gotten harder to retain correctional officers for a few reasons. One, it can be tough working inside a prison. Two, many of the prisons are in remote areas across the state where people are not typically as excited to move. And then there have been several prison closures over the last few years, and Governor Gavin Newsom plans to close even more. Correctional officers see the writing on the wall, and some are opting to move on. If the contract is approved, it is expected to cost taxpayers more than $1 billion over three years. That's CalMatters Baronda Lyons. This summer, many Californians have settled back into their pre-pandemic lifestyles, finally taking that trip, going to concerts, or back to the movie theaters. But even though the federal public health emergency ended in May, COVID transmission and hospitalizations have been on the rise in California. Joining me to talk about where and why we're seeing this uptick is infectious diseases doctor and professor Monica Gandhi. Dr. Gandhi, welcome. Thank you. So what are COVID numbers looking like throughout the state right now? And where are we seeing the biggest upswing in COVID transmissions? So right now, essentially, if you look at the California state data, there are an increase in what's called test positivity and cases. So we're now at a 13.2% test positivity rate. Actually, our hospitalizations and deaths, luckily, are staying very low, but it really is a lot more cases. And why are we seeing this uptick? It's likely because of a new subvariant. Omicron is still our parent variant. We haven't, we don't have a new Greek letter, um, but we have subvariants within Omicron. The new subvariant is called EG5. It differs from XBB 1.5 by just one mutation. So it's really close. It looks really similar, but that one mutation made it more transmissible. And whenever you have a variant that causes increased transmissibility, then you're going to get an uptick in cases. Not an increase in virulence. Doesn't cause more severe disease, but an increase in making it easier to get. Okay, so if that's the case, how worried should we be about this increase? So the thing is, um, I would not be very worried if you've had a va- vaccines in the past or even in the infection in the past or most likely a combination of both. So it depends on how you want to live your life, I would say. Uh, we are always going to get new subvariants. This virus changes a lot, just like we do with influenza. We're always going to live with COVID. And what you do with your life in terms of indoor gatherings, going to restaurants, going back to your pre-pandemic life, will be up to you and your risk tolerance. But there's a lot of people who have gone back to pre-pandemic life because that life creates human connection and joy. And and we do see in California big concerts and big indoor gatherings, and people have really done their part for the pandemic, and they, um, you know, feel like they, they'd like to live. And, and I would, I absolutely think that's the right thing to do. But if you're older, I would get a booster. And finally, I want to circle back to the vaccine rollout. When should we expect the next one and who should get the shot? This booster supposedly will be available mid-September, so really soon. I don't know what the CDC is going to recommend. They are meeting on September 12th to make a recommendation for Americans. They may recommend it for everybody because they've 
in general like to keep their message simple. But I will say definitively that if you're older, on immunosuppressants, have multiple comorbidities, every other country and the WHO is saying, please get that booster in the fall. Dr. Gandhi, thank you so much for your time and expertise on this. Thank you. That was infectious disease doctor and professor Monica Gandhi. And that's the California Report for Thursday, August 31st. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, a 30% chance of showers, mainly after 5 p.m., widespread haze after 7 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 55. Winds could gust as high as 26 miles per hour. Friday, showers and thunderstorms likely before noon, then showers likely and possibly a thunderstorm between noon and 1 p.m., then a chance of showers and thunderstorms again after 1 p.m., mostly cloudy with a high near 64. Chance of precipitation is 60%. New rainfall amounts between a tenth and a quarter of an inch, except higher amounts possible in thunderstorms. Friday night, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly before 11 p.m., mostly cloudy with a low around 53. New rainfall amounts between a quarter and a half of an inch are possible. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 43. Friday, scattered showers and thunderstorms after 11 a.m., mostly sunny after that with a high near 72. Friday night, isolated showers and thunderstorms before 11 p.m., mostly clear with a low around 45. And for the Truckee and Lake Tahoe region, the National Weather Service released a special weather statement. It was divided into three sections, so I'll summarize each one. The first focuses on the winds. Wind gusts between 30 to 45 miles per hour are expected Thursday and Friday, with gusts peaking Thursday night on Sierra Ridge lines at 70 to 100 miles per hour. Winds of this magnitude will cause problems for outdoor recreation, including providing rough lake waters for smaller watercrafts like kayaks and paddleboards. The air will also be turbulent for aviators, especially smaller aircrafts and gliders. The next section pertains to rainfall and snowfall. Yes, snowfall. Rain showers will develop for portions of northeast California, northern Nevada, nearing the Tahoe Basin on Friday, spreading south across the region Saturday and Sunday. Isolated thunderstorms are also possible. There's a 20 to 30% chance of those. Showers may occur at any point during the day or night throughout the weekend, beginning to clear out of the region for Labor Day. In the cold air mass, snow levels could fall, so it's even possible for higher elevations to experience some light snow flurries. The last section of this statement is called the bottom line, and the bottom line is, quote, if you have outdoor recreation plans this holiday weekend, be sure that you're prepared for the cold, wet, and windy conditions. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, widespread haze before midnight, mostly cloudy with a low around 63. Friday, a 30% chance of showers, mainly before noon, mostly cloudy with a high near 75. Friday night, a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms, partly cloudy with a low around 61. South wind 8 to 13 miles per hour, with gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. New precipitation amounts of less than a tenth of an inch, except higher amounts possible during thunderstorms.
and you're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The Family Resource Centers and the Nevada County Superintendent of Schools are sponsoring the second annual Latino Family Festival to connect local families to community partners, services, and wellness opportunities. KVMR News Director Claudia Mendoza talks with Rocio Zukov, the events organizer, to get the details. I don't think many people know how big the community is. Tell me what we know as of last year about the Latino community here in Nevada County. Well, one thing that I was really interested in when we were doing the census, and this happened in 2020, and I thought, I wonder how many people there are, because I've always heard that there's always more people over that are in um, the eastern side of Nevada County, in the Truckee area, that are Latino. So I thought, well, let me calculate everything. And if we were balancing only Grass Valley and Truckee, yes, Grass Valley alone has less. But when I went through and calculated everything out from that census, we actually have a few hundred more people here than they do on that side. And that's because it includes Nevada City, Penn Valley, Alta Sierra, all of the extended communities here on the western side. And I have really been surprised because I didn't know that we had a Latino community either. When And I've lived here for, what, 10 years now? I didn't know at the beginning when I took this job. I said, well, where are they? They're always hidden. And there's a lot of fear. You know, that's one of the reasons. But another reason is that they're always in the back of the kitchen. They're always doing housekeeping. They're doing gardening. They're in pl- places where you don't really see them much. And so they're, they have a wonderful culture, but they very much keep to themselves. I was doing a bit of reading, and I thought that I had read that the approximate number is somewhere around 10,000, but it sounds like that's actually much less than the actual number. According to the census, we have well over 16,000 Latino individuals here in the county, and those are only the ones that we report that reported to the census. We have a large community. Pretty much a tenth of our community is Latino. 16,000 here on the western slope, sort of spread out between Penn Valley, Nevada City, Grass Valley, Alta Sierra. Mm-hmm. And it's not just people from Mexico, is it? No, you're absolutely right. I have people from southern, from, uh, let's see, South America. Let's see, Chile, Venezuela, Argentina. We have people from Panama, Guatemala, Honduras, of course, Mexico. And we have people from Spain, Cuba. There's people from all over Latin America. One of the things I also wanted to talk to you about is what, I believe is the second annual Latino Family Festival that's going to take place Thursday, September 14th at Condon Park. Tell us a bit about that. Oh, yes. We're really excited that it went so well last year. uh, Last year, I think it was about July, I thought, you know, I think it it would be nice to see how much of the community, the Latino community, would come out to an event like this. If we can get the agencies to have a table and be able to share the information that they have, what they have to offer. And if we had some fun, like culture, music, a little bit of food or something for the children, let's see how it would work. 
And it was very difficult because, of course, I only had about a month and a half to plan it, and I did it as I worked. And I realized that it was a very successful event. People wanted to, the agencies wanted to participate and were excited about this because they said, we don't reach that community very often. And of course, the Latino community said, we would love to be participating in something like this. And we had about 250 people show up last year, and we're hoping that this year will be even better. We've had a lot of agencies that contacted me saying, hey, can we be there? Absolutely. I'm thrilled about that. Tell me about some of the agencies that will be there and what kind of services will be there in terms of connecting these services to the community. Well, all of them, all of the agencies are going working on getting everything in Spanish. So that's huge. That way they'll be able to read the material that's there and they'll be able to remember what it is after they leave the festival. Also, I requested if they have anybody that is bilingual at their agency to please have them be there present so that if there are questions that are asked, that they'll be able to give them that information firsthand. Otherwise, I have to go learn about it and share it with them. But this is perfect. It's making those those connections. And let's see, just off the top of my head, I know the um, California Highway Patrol will be there. We'll have social services there. Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital will have a booth as well. The school, the high school will be there, freed. All in all, I think we have 25 to 30 agencies that will be there. The Yuba Land Trust, Sierra Harvest. We're going to have a really great group to be able to share their whatever they have to offer. And it'll be in Spanish. I'm thrilled about that. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Rocio Zukov, and we're talking about the Latino Family Festival 2023. It takes place Thursday, September 14th from 5 to 8 p.m. in Condon Park. Rocio, tell me about the choice to have this event at Condon Park. That was a deliberate choice, right? Yes, it was, because a lot of my people do live in that vicinity, in the downtown Grass Valley area. And it felt like a little bit of a warmer environment. And there was more parking. (laughs) That was really a huge part of it as well. They also have the play structure that's right nearby. It's very visible from the um, barbecue area where we'll be. And there's enough places there for people to set up their booths. And I thought, well, let's try it. Let's see what happens. We use the basketball court for the music. This year will be a little bit different. Um, so we are using that same location again because it seemed to be successful last year, and we're going to see if we outgrow that, then we may have to reassess. But it was a great place to be able to have our festival. This year we're going to be doing music, and it'll be kind of international Latino culture music. Last year you had uh, mariachi. Yes. This year a bit different. Yes, this year we'll actually have a DJ, and the DJ will be playing music from all of the different countries that we have represented in Latin America. So we're looking forward to having a little bit of flavor from all over. Again, that's the Latino Family Festival 2023, Thursday, September 14th. If people want more information about the event, how can they find out more? I'm going to give you my number. I do have a cell number where people can reach me, and it's at 530-268-5300. I would love to have people call me. If you'd like to volunteer, I can always use an extra set of hands to help. Rocio Zukov, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for having me, Claudia. I appreciate it. And now, Molly Fisk. 
Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. Lately, I've been asking people what their grandmothers did for a living. This is a good question for either friends or strangers. It's likely something your friends haven't thought to mention, so you learn more about them. And many strangers will tell you with a light in their eyes, remembering. It's personal, but not intrusive, and isn't the standard fare of what do you do, or where are you from, or how do you know the bride? It's a way of asking who are you, but at a remove. As I say this, I'm groaning at my assumptions. I'm white and live in a monochromatic white county, which is where I'm asking. I'm known and liked here and usually seen as benign. In other situations, posing the question might not end well at all. People could think you were trying to gauge ethnic and class differences to emphasize hierarchy or exclusion instead of what I'm trying to do, which is see what we have in common. Thus are my privilege and ignorance revealed to me. So think about it before you try this at home. But that aside, for the moment, I'm hearing great answers. Someone's grandmother rode side saddle all over this part of the Sierra foothills, passing out flyers supporting women to get the vote. Another ran a liquor store in Detroit. Many worked hard at home or on small farms, raising children, animals, and food, keeping it all together in the famous unpaid labor market of family living. One of my grandmothers was well-educated but poor and taught Latin in a girl's school before she married a minister. Her unpaid job was then all about comforting others, mediation, and community building, and editing sermons and making casseroles to give bereaved parishioners. My other grandmother was wealthy. Along with raising her children, she entertained and supported the arts in the upper-middle-class circles of Buffalo. I don't know when she learned Spanish, but for a while she taught English to Spanish-speaking emigre doctors. After my grandfather died, she turned herself into a field ornithologist and a Democrat and began a completely different life. When you ask people in groups a question like this, as I did the other morning at a coffee shop, it can start great conversations. Geography shows up, shoe factories, orchestras, the war effort, as well as different angles on women's traditional skills and pastimes. Some grandmothers were in service as maids or cooks. One designed the gardens for Gone with the Wind. I heard of a torch singer, a private seamstress, and many teachers and librarians. Legions of women raised children and grandchildren, took in borders to make ends meet. One was a trap-shooting champion of Canada. One was a bookkeeper at Niagara Mohawk Power. I looked around the coffee shop at the grandchildren I was talking to, now 50 or 63 or 87, and thought about everyone's hidden lineage, how a steady aim or long, tidy columns of numbers written in fountain pen might have been passed down and still exist in them today. Through DNA or family tradition, we carry mysteries. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com.
This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Thursday, August 31st. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like yourself and Wild Birds Unlimited, locally owned birder, nature, and gift store since 1999. Offering all things birds, bird feeding supplies, nesting boxes, bird baths, also nature-inspired gifts and yard art. Wild Birds Unlimited on Neal Street in Grass Valley. A support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. I hope you have a great night. Thank you.